Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do we really know what happened? We're both into like true crimes. That's gonna be our theme song. It'll be just a silent recording of me going, and it'll be flat and out of tune every time. That's good. This is mystery murdery thingy thingy thingy. And now it started. Um. Hey. Hey there. Hey. Um. What's up? Uh huh. Are you saying that to me? Um, I'm saying that t- to you and whoever is listening. We've been hanging out for a while, so that doesn't really make and sense. And whoever is listening, right. cheers. <laughs> wine break, wine break. Wine break, yes, wine break. <laughs> a little bit of a wine break. A little bit of a wine break. Happy Tuesday night. Happy Tuesday night. Well, Wednesday. Now, by the time we post It's this. Wednesday, my dudes. Yes. In terms of... Should the, I make that stupid vine my, like, quote? Your, Have you seen that vine? Your quote? Yeah, my, like, catchphrase. Oh. <laughs> it's Wednesday, my dudes. <laughs> well, I think if there's one thing that we've been good at so far, it's stealing other people's catchphrases. So, <laughs> may as well keep that going. <laughs> we like mysteries. Murderies. And stealing other people's cash for And stealing other people's cash for <laughs> Welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. My name's Chloe. My name's Mario. Are you sure? Pretty sure. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I'm a junior. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's two of you. Yeah. And you're the smaller one. By a good amount. By a good amount. I'm smaller than most people. That's so cute. Another little wine break. Are you going to say it every time I take a sip of wine? <laughs> Don't count people's drinks, bro. Not probes. What? Okay, so are you doing a mystery, a murdery, or a thingy? 
Let me know. Mine's definitely murdery, as, as I promised last time. Mine's also murdery. Okay. Um. So I like to go. You first said yours was kind of short, simply because it's it is kind of short and it's sad. Yeah. Um. And it's a big big topic that I think we can discuss further. Okay. So. Um, it's February. Happy Black History Month. Right. I am going to focus on the first NAAC worker, NAACP worker to be murdered for his civil rights work. Okay. He was murdered, did not get a proper investigation, did not get an autopsy, did not get a funeral, did not get a marked grave. So what you Even though say? we know who he is. Right. This is 1940 was okay. when he was killed. So... You know, this is like a part of our history. Thousands of African Americans throughout history have been just lynched. Millions have been persecuted wrongly, have been abused, have been kicked out of their homes for no reason. And especially after the Emancipation Proclamation, which I think a lot of people have a... a a skewed view on what the Emancipation Proclamation actually was. It did not directly free all slaves, and it did not say, bam, boom, this is it, slavery is illegal. That's not what it did. That's what the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments did. Exactly, and I think a lot of people look at the Emancipation Proclamation that way, Right. even though it did help African-Americans gain more freedoms, it didn't, I guess, give us this huge rush of freedom that we wanted, or that a lot of people are saying that it is. No, no, yeah, definitely. And just from a technical standpoint, for example, like Maryland was a border state that sided with the Union that also had slaves. Slaves Mm -hmm. in Maryland remained slaves after the Emancipation Proclamation, Mm -hmm. did not technically apply to them. So Mm -hmm. there, there were instances like that. But then immediately after the war was ended, the southern states were also allowed to enact black codes, which very explicitly were meant to basically reenact slavery. So, you know, you would be picked up for spitting, right, or for harassment or menacing, just anything, bullshit, for being a black person on the street, right, where you're not supposed to be. And the police would take you to jail and you would be forced to pay restitution for your crimes in the form of labor for which you were not paid Yep. for a series of, of years, which would probably be extended. It, it was just slavery. It was just slavery again. And unfortunately, a version of this exists all the way till today. Mm-hmm. Um, there are prisons, including private prisons, in which people are forced to work for pennies an hour, literally. They make products that are sold in stores. I think a lot of people don't know that or realize that, but I'm not saying it's the same thing as slavery, because I think that's kind of a bit hyperbolic, but it is something akin to it that still exists today. So I I definitely see what you're saying. These kind of stories redound throughout our history. So I'm going to talk about... Um, Albert Williams, like I said, the first NAACP worker to be murdered for his civil rights work. So he was born October 15th, 1908 in rural Haywood County, Tennessee. 
Um, he was the son of farmer Albert Williams and wife Mary Green Williams. In 1929, he married a woman named Annie Mitchell. After trying farming, they moved in in the 19 they moved in the early 1930s to Brownsville, Tennessee, where they worked for the Sunshine Laundry. And I think I read that he like tended the fire that kept the, the like steam going or something that didn't make sense to me because it was laundry in the 40s. I, okay. <laughs> I didn't really understand what sure. his job was. It was something to do with fire and steam and drying things. Okay. So, uh, so as they go through life, you know, he focuses on civil rights and mainly he focuses on gaining the right for African-Americans to vote. So in 1939, they became, him and his wife, uh, became some of the first charter members of Brownsville's NAACP branch. On May 6, 1940, five members of Brownsville's NAACP branch unsuccessfully attempted to register to vote. No African-American had been allowed to register to vote in Haywood County during that time. And after that, the next day was when th- they began to be being threatened. Threats against Black Americans trying to make a change, this was something that wasn't uh, rare. It was common. Right. Um, and, like, you know, not all police forces were corrupt during this time, but many, 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 many were. <laughs> many. Uh, including the cops in Haywood County, Tennessee, in 1940. So uh, they didn't have any interest in these threats. So early in the morning of June 16th, 1940, would-be registrant Elijah Davis was abducted from his house by a white mob led by Brownsville, Brownsville policeman Tip Hunter and Charles Reed. He was taken to uh, the nearby Hatchie River Swamp, surrounded and threatened with death unless he named members of the NAACP. They wanted names. After naming some, he was forced to immediately leave the county under threat of death should he ever return. So upon hearing of the Davis incident, many of the families that were in the chapter uh, fled like they got straight out of Haywood County, but the Williamses did not. Their decision to stay, I guess, kind of came back to haunt them. Right. So late on June twentieth, nineteen forty, uniformed policemen Hunter and Reed, the two who also captured Elijah Davis, um, and a third man, Ed Lee, manager of the local Coca-Cola bottling company, took Williams from his home, jailed him, and questioned him about the NAACP meeting he was suspected of planning. Hunter claimed that he released Williams later, but he didn't. Well, actually, that's the mystery. We don't know if he released him or not, uh, because after this, he... Albert Williams never returned home and he was never again seen alive. Mm. Three days later, his body was found in the river. Annie is the one who had to end up identifying him. There were two bullet holes in his chest and he was uh, bruised and beaten and swollen. So the coroner, Bill Cox, ordered no medical examination. He held his inquest on the riverbank on the riverbank that same morning and the coroner's jury determined that the cause of William's death was unknown. But later a local grand jury found that his death was caused by quote, foul violence at the hands of parties unknown. 
the coroner ordered an immediate burial and he was buried the same day with no funeral in an unmarked grave. Mm -hmm. So basically he gets taken in by the police. There's no warrant for his arrest. There's no probable cause. The only thing they want to know is if he's, if he's the one who will be planning an NAACP meeting um, later in the week. And of course, that's why they were trying to get names of those who would be at that meeting. So he get he gets questioned. Apparently, according to the police, he gets released. Except three days later, his body's found in the river. So under pressure from the NAACP National Office, the United States Department of Justice ordered the FBI to investigate and promised a broad inquiry. The NAACP special counsel, our main man, Thurgood Marshall, who mm-hmm. later became of U.S. Course. Supreme Court Justice. Right. He's the one who monitored the, the investigation, and he, oh, wow. he even traveled to Brownsville um, to collect evidence. But the Department of Justice ordered the U.S. attorney in Memphis to present the case to a federal grand jury, but then it mysteriously reversed its decision and, cl- and just closed the case. The um, Department of Justice did. Yes, and it says that they were... They were doing so because of insufficient evidence. Hmm. So, obviously, Thurgood Marshall was livid. And um, since that time, he's been unable to get the case reopened. And to this day, his Albert Williams' murder has not been prosecuted. Wow. Nobody's been found. Seems like a case that you would reopen later on. Here's um, the thing. He... Uh, and there's, there's an author named Jim Emerson is where his website... And a website called blackpass.org, I got a lot of the, where I got a lot of the information from. Jim Emerson, he's writing a book titled Albert Williams, First to Die. It has details of the case, and he's also advocating for the Bureau to reopen the investigation. Good luck under Jeff Sessions, He's not... Gonna have uh, to wait for the next Attorney General, I would imagine. Well, it's not, it's not, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. But he did successfully organize a memorial service for him, which was held on the 75th anniversary of his death in 2015. Mm. And it was held in Brownsville, Tennessee, with a historical marker that honored him. And, I mean, it's just, to this day, like, it hasn't, it hasn't been reopened. Like, the case hasn't been reopened, even though sure. they put in this inquiry or whatever. But there's so many questions here, like, who... Who dumped his body in the river? Like, why was there no proper medical examination? Why was there an immediate barrel? Why is there an unmarked grave? Why was it dropped so suddenly? Like, there's just a lot of missing information that really nobody has, seems to have any incentive to look into in the near future. It seemed like there definitely seems like there was a cover-up. Definitely. Um, because, I mean, clearly that the police in that town, you know, were basically a white supremacist mob gang themselves. Yeah. Yes. And that's, that. unfortunately, that, you know, can happen. I mean, in L.A. County jails, there are literal prison guard gangs where guards have to do, like, initiation where they have to like beat up a prisoner to join the prison guard gang That's that they have up yeah yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy but i was going to say the other thing that this would 
was sort of reminding me of in terms of reopening a civil rights case, you know, years and years later, uh, Doug Jones, who just won the U.S. Senate seat that was vacated by Jeff Sessions mm-hmm. in Alabama in that big upset win over Roy Moore, the accused um, pedophile. But, Ew. yeah, who, you know, obviously that's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like a whole other story. Roy Moore, not a good guy. What I was going to say was Doug Jones, in his career as U.S. attorney, reopened the bombing uh, in Birmingham that killed oh. those seven little girls and uh, was able to prosecute. You know, the, I think there was the one guy that got prosecuted at some point around when it happened, but he, he reopened the case and prosecuted, like, the whole gang of people who did it. Wow. You know, and this was in probably the mid to late 90s, so, you know, 30 years after it happened. So I know that it can happen, and there are still Nazis that are getting prosecuted up until today, you know, who are in their 90s. So, you know, getting justice, it, it sometimes takes a long time, but... Uh, you know, it's it's always worth it, I think. That's Was what that I've it? got. Great. That's what I've got. Cool, cool. It's sad. Yeah, it's definitely sad. It's so messed up. And he was obviously the first of many others that of came many. afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of cases similar to this type of thing. Well, because, like, you know, like we've talked about, the pol- when the police... Uh, themselves and the people who are supposed to be investigating themselves are implicated in the crimes. You know, that's where mysteries tend to crop up a lot of times because, you know, you don't get the investigation. You don't get the evidence gathering that you would normally because it's it's intentionally bungled for the benefit of the, the perpetrators. Yeah, the author's, um has a lot of good points and he was putting Albert Williams' name up there with, like, Emmett Till and stuff. Well, that's, yeah, that's kind of, I was wondering if you were going to do Emmett Till when you started talking about it. But I think his case wasn't really mysterious, right? I think they pretty much know who, I haven't looked into it, but I, I think they've prosecuted who killed Emmett Till. Um, you know, maybe that's a good case to do. Maybe we'll look into it, because I don't know as much about it. I'm... As a black person, I don't like looking into those things. It's right. very hard for me to... Like, I haven't seen 12 Years a Slave because I'm scared to watch it. I saw The Color button. Purple when I was really young. Yeah. I don't want to watch Roots. I'm scared to watch Roots. Like, I just... I don't know, man. So I know that Emmett Till was uh, killed for supposedly whistling at a white woman, woman and then a, didn't didn't that bitch come back a couple of years ago and was like, actually he didn't actually he didn't like even, not that I just said that right on her fucking deathbed, right? So I probably I'm almost positive. Oh man, that get, that gets me pissed. Okay, I'm gonna go now. Okay, so I'm gonna do the poisoning of Alexander Litvinenko, uh, who was a former uh, FSB officer in, like, the uh, early to mid-90s. And the the FSB is basically, like, the what the KGB became after the USSR. So it's basically, like, their version of the FBI, uh, like, their domestic okay. security service, basically. Okay. And uh, just to give a little bit of 
background and then I'll I'll kind of tell the story of his of how he actually died. Okay. And and then we'll go through kind of more of the particulars and who did it and stuff like that. Oh, we know who did it? We basically know who did it, but it's again one of these ones where that no real investigation could okay. really happen because it seems like it was state sponsored. Yeah. So we'll 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 kind of get into that. So we that. never okay. Fine. So we okay. so we, right. There's never going to be like a trial or anything. So Alexander Litvinenko was an FSB officer, and you know he bases. So I listened to the audiobook of this book called Death of a Dissident. Mm-hmm. That was written by a friend of his, Alex Goldfarb, and his wife, uh, Marina Litvinenko. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously very, you know, slanted toward his perspective. But the way that it portrayed him was basically he he wanted to be a good guy. You know, he thought of himself as, like, protecting people and, like, mm-hmm. doing the right thing. And, like, he wanted to be a policeman because he wanted to, like, you know, do good in the world. And a lot of his career, he was basically, like, a detective. And he would recruit people also to infiltrate, like, mob, like, the mob in in Russia. And that's where he kind of started to get into trouble because what he was finding out was that there was a lot of connections between his superiors in the FSB and these mob figures. And, like, other, you know, oligarchs or governmental, you know, people. People were in cahoots. Right. So, you know, he's supposed to be ostensibly fighting crime, right? Finding out, you know, who uh, if they're working for the mobsters, then we should be exposing them. We should be prosecuting them. We should be arresting them. Like, he was very sort of naive. And mm. a, almost everyone else there was not like that. They They were trying to make money by getting in on some of that same stuff. And he never was. He didn't have much money because he didn't do that, you know. And, again, that's the portrayal from, you know, his friend and his wife. But that, you know, that seems like what it what it was. Because eventually he and a small other group of, you know, like-minded individuals in the FSB wanted to actually – they got so frustrated, you know, when they, they were trying to bring their concerns up the chain of command and they were just kind of getting slapped down, right? And um, eventually they were so fed up, they were just going to do a press conference. And that was when things really went wrong. And that was when he got arrested for the first time. And it was basically... Wait, why? It was basically a trumped-up charge. They said that he had beaten up a, an, um, a person who he was arresting, like, Ten years earlier or five years earlier or something like that. It was just basically an excuse to shut him up. And uh, eventually a judge, I think, released him. But then there was a second charge. It was basically like the same thing, but a different incident. And then there was a third arrest. And they got really scared and basically thought, you know, either they're going to put him in jail forever or they're going to kill him. And... This was what Alexander Litvinenko was thinking and his his family. And so they basically got out of Russia eventually. And and this was in, uh, when they left, I think was in the year 2000. So it was r- right after Putin had been elected 
to the presidency. Yikes. Yeah. And so basically, with the help of this guy who wrote the book, Alex Goldfarb, they went from Turkey. Initially, he wanted to try to get them to the U.S., but that didn't really work out, so they ended up going to Britain. And they got asylum in Britain and got in kind of like the witness protection program. And they lived in Britain for six years. And actually on the sixth, the six-year anniversary of them uh, coming to Britain on November 1st, 2006, is is when Alexander Litvinenko was actually poisoned. And so I'll, I'll just kind of go through what happened on that day. So this was November 1st, 2006. So Alexander Litvinenko meets who he thinks is a potential new business partner and a guy who he had known briefly back in the 90s through uh, a mutual friend of theirs. His name's Andre Lukavoy. Basically, he meets him and they have this meal at a fancy hotel. During that meal... Andre Lugavoy encourages Litvinenko to drink out of this teapot. And that's where we find out actually the poisoning came from. And then he introduces him to uh, a his... teapot? It was, it was in the tea. Yeah, he, he oh, poured out okay. a, a cup of tea and it was in there. And the way he that um, Litvinenko describes it is that the tea was like already cold and it, it was like not very good, but he he drank like three or four sips, basically. So it wasn't even he didn't even drink that much. But we'll we'll kind of get into the poisoning itself in a, a little bit later, and um, how kind of potent it was. So after meeting with this guy Andre Lukaboy, and then briefly meeting who he introduces as his friend Dmitry Kovtun, Litvinenko then has a sushi lunch with. Another acquaintance called Mario Scaramella, who was a nuclear expert and an Italian officer, who um, basically they were exchanging incriminating information about the Kremlin with each other, uh, Scaramella and Litvinenko. And then Mm. uh, Litvinenko starts to feel kind of strangely ill, doesn't really know why. For a few days, they just think he's kind of maybe just kind of sick. Yeah. But eventually, he goes to the hospital. He keeps getting sicker and sicker. Uh, he has diarrhea. He's vomiting. Eventually, he can't oh walk. <gasps> His condition just continues to worsen over the next couple of weeks. Weeks? And doctors are just like, do not know what's going on. They they really are like pretty stumped. And it, eventually they think that he has what's called thallium poisoning, but that turns out to be incorrect. It turns out after they sample some of his blood and urine, and and I think they actually found this out like on the day that he died, which was November 22nd, that it was um, polonium-210, which is a critical component of early nuclear bombs. What? And it was actually, uh, it was kind of interesting because the way they described it was they were looking at this um, signature from a test that they were doing. And they were really just like couldn't figure out what was going on. And there was a big spike at one particular point on the signal. And an old scientist happened to overhear their conversation 
And he was like, oh, that sounds like uh, alpha radiation. Like, he knew about it because he had worked on those early nuclear bombs. And so he he was able to kind of tell them, oh, that sounds like polonium-210. And they find out that that, that is what it was. So polonium-210 is extremely dangerous. A tiny, tiny amount can kill you. Like a speck of it. Whoa. If you ingest it, can can um, kill you, and uh, basically, it it doesn't create what's called gamma radiation, which is the main thing that like if you have a Geiger counter, that's what a, a Geiger counter is trying to detect is gamma radiation. Okay, I'll cut that out. <laughs> so so gamma radiation <laughs> to get to get back to my explanation. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't. I know. <laughs> Sorry. So it, it gamma radiation is also really harmful. It's a type of ionizing radiation that basically like hurts cells. But um, this other type of, of damaging radiation called alpha radiation is what polonium-210 gives off. And what's special about that is it's not going to set off any detectors. It doesn't set off a metal detector oh. or bomb detectors. What? And the the alpha radiation, it, it doesn't penetrate surfaces the way the gamma radiation does. So that's why they did radiation. They did two radiation tests on uh, on uh, Litvinenko. And they didn't find anything. And they didn't find anything. So that's why, you know, initially when they were like, oh, maybe it's this radioactive substance, they were like, no, we tested for radiation. We looked at that. But then this this one doctor who was like a real expert in, in these kind of things that was assisting them was like, mm, but it could be this other type of radiation that doesn't actually penetrate the skin and would only be harmful if you actually, mm. well, it's still harmful, but only like lethal if you actually like ingested it. And that's what they, they figured out eventually that it, that it was. So basically it also had never been used as a poison before. So that's that was another reason that they think that they went with it because it was just so baffling and and uh, gave you know Lukovoy and Kovtun time to get out you know back to Russia, where by the way Andrei Lukovoy is now a member of Parliament and Dmitry Kovtun is a businessman. Oh God! So again, like n- nothing actually ever happened to those two guys. Talk about baggage. We pretty much know that it was them, you know, allegedly. Because of the radioactive signatures that they found everywhere these guys were. <laughs> so clearly they had the polonium-210 with them because <laughs> they left a trail. But they're never going to go on trial or anything. So they determined that it was in the tea because they actually found it um, in the hotel when they were like looking into all of this. And when they did, you know, all of the kind of background checking and everything, they found there were three, like, distinct polonium trails that were laid down at three different times. And this is where they started to be able to make kind of a timeline of of where things happened. And like I said, they were all linked very strongly to Andrei Lugovoy and Dmitry Kovtun. They indicated that there were two possible prior assassination attempts. So they basically think that they tried this before or they were doing kind of like practice runs before to to make sure that they could actually do this. That's disturbing. I know. 
Um, the first of those was on October 16th of 2006, and a trail was found in all the places that uh, Lugavoy and Kovtun were. How do you find a trail of radiation? They have special detectors for the alpha radiation. So, so do they just, like, walk around where these guys were? Yeah, that's a good question. When they were describing it in the book, they made it sound like there was a specialized unit within the, um, I think it must have probably been the terrorism unit of the Metropolitan Police in London, because they were the ones who were kind of like leading the investigation that specialized in finding radiation. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool job. So so yeah, basically that would be your job to find out all the specialized ways, I guess, that you can just like go into, I mean, London's a fucking enormous city. Um, And, you know, say, but they also found it in, and I'll, I'll I'll get into the specifics of this a little bit. They found it in like a tons of different places. So on this October sixteenth trip, though, they did slip it into Litvinenko's tea. So they basically tried the exact same thing that eventually worked, but Litvinenko didn't drink the tea that time, so he he didn't get poisoned. So they Lugavoy and Kovtun also really apparently didn't realize what exactly they were handling. In the polonium-210, they they clearly did not realize that it was highly dangerous and extremely potent poison. Because at one point, it seems that one of their containers actually, like, broke. And they cleaned it up just with a towel. With their bare hands. And just uh, poured the rest of it down the toilet. Oh. Which they did another couple of other times, oh. and also into a sink. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, that this is stuff that uh, Litvinenko's father described as a mini atomic bomb, because it's so highly radioactive. That's oh my. And they were just God. throwing this shit around. So like, clearly they didn't know, you know, exactly what they were dealing with. But presumably the people who gave it to them did. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy to think about yeah so even a small amount of this like even a gram that's scary can kill like masses of people so it's a really dangerous sub i mean i know i keep repeating this but it's like it's like it's kind of mind-blowing insane that that they chose to use this to kill this one person i i I don't understand what was going through the minds of these people (laughs) uh, whoever ordered this so the second attempt was on October 25th. So basically, you know, they were trying this like every week, a new attempt, right? Uh, these guys also seem like fucking idiots, by the way. Um, that shit is dark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So again, Lugavoy and Kovtun left a radioactive trail, so could see exactly where they went. Um, they did not actually attempt to administer the poison on the second attempt, Possibly because they knew they were being filmed. So, like, where they were meeting him, there were a lot of cameras. Which was not the case for the third attempt, which was on November 1st at the Millennium Hotel in Grosvenor Square. Now, the Millennium Hotel does have a lot of cameras. It had 41 cameras working that day. But there were no cameras in the bar, in the Pine Bar, which oh, okay. which is where they ended up meeting. And presumably Lugavoy and Kofton would have known that. They were kind of casing out the place. So Lugavoy, that time, had come to London with his family 
under the guise of seeing a CSKA Moscow match, which, which is a, a, a soccer club. They, they, they were there playing a, a match that day, and he actually had his, like, two daughters and his little son uh... with him. And, and after the poisoning happened, he actually introduced his little son to Litvinenko. How's that for chilling? Just like, hey, here's my little son. Shake the hand of the guy that I just... Which, again, he clearly must not have known that it was highly radioactive. Because he put his son in contact with the person. Yeah, he probably had no idea. uh, Yeah, again, I don't... Yeah, I I hope not. I hope he didn't know. And Litvinenko and uh, Lugovoy had been meeting up ostensibly to uh, talk about working together, advising some Western firms, I think, on, like, security matters. There was no trail that Litvinenko left going to the meeting, so we know that it was at the meeting that he was poisoned, because afterwards we find the trail that Litvinenko starts to make from that point on. Okay, okay. So that's how we know definitively that the polonium-210 was introduced into Litvinenko's body at the Pine Bar Hotel uh, in the uh, Millennium Hotel. Um, Damn. After he had eaten the lunch with Mario Scaramella. So there was so much radiation within Litvinenko's body after the poisoning that when he rode in a friend's car back to his hotel, that car was rendered inoperable. It was totaled. It could, it could not be used anymore because Litvinenko had been riding in it right after having been poisoned with polonium-210. So when Litvinenko's father again describes it as, uh, you know, when he was talking to the press after Lin- Alexander Litvinenko died, described it as a mini-atomic bomb... You can kind of see where he's coming from. You know, it's, did anybody has anybody else been affected by it around there, him? There were definitely people who were affected by it around him. His wife, especially, because she before they you know knew before they even took him to the hospital when he was just at home and they thought he was sick, she was cleaning up his vomit and other things. So she actually it ended up you know in, ingesting some polonium two ten as well. Thankfully, their son mainly stayed away, so his level of exposure was a lot less, and everyone else's was a lot less because it was kind of secondary, tertiary, quaternary, yeah. etc. But. Litvinenko's wife, you know, probably had some ill Holy health effects. Crap. And and probably Lugovoy and Kovtun did as well, I'd imagine, because yeah. they, they were exposed quite heavily, you know, so <coughs> I'm sure the it's not great. Wasn't it wasn't good for them, I'm sure. Traces were eventually found on two hundred and twenty one flights on British Airways. What? So basically, the airplanes that Lugovoy and Kovtun had taken um, were used on a further 221 flights, in 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 which they they found exposure that to. Shit is da- that's so scary. Yeah, in in which they found exposure to as many as 33,000 passengers. Wow. So yeah, it's pretty crazy, uh, and like I said, it, Litvinenko was killed on the sixth uh, anniversary of his arrival in. In Britain. So the British did an investigation, and and as part of that, they attempted to interrogate five Russians who they believed were involved, but obviously got no um, 
cooperation from the Kremlin or, or any of the Russian authorities. They also tried to extradite Andrei Lugovoy, but the Russian prosecutor general Yuri Chaika, who would be basically the equivalent to our attorney general, uh, said that it was unconstitutional for Russia to extradite any citizen. Uh, the British disputed that, but they weren't going to obviously extradite him. That was never going to happen. And like I said, he is now a member of parliament in Russia. Jeez. So uh, a, a different inquiry was concluded in January 2016 in Britain, so pretty recently, led by uh, Sir Robert Owen. And that found that Lugavoy and Kovtun were responsible for Litvinenko's death and that it was very likely that they were directed by the FSB with the at least acquiescence of Russian President Vladimir Putin. Uh, Lugavoy ended up with a seat in the Russian parliament. Kovtun is now a businessman. So the, this kind of leaves us with, you know, the question of why. Why did this happen? Why did they go to such extraordinary means to kill this man in such a horrific and agonizing way. I mean, he basically died of radiation exposure from the inside out. But it kind of sounds like they didn't know. Well, the people who ordered it would certainly have known what they were doing. Kovtun and Lugavoy seem like useful idiots. So he he was just this investigator who didn't want to be involved with the mob? Yes, but he he was always going against the grain since he started at the FSB. You know, he he was trying to expose these connections between high-placed FSB officials, other oh, government okay. officials, and the mafia, basically trying to expose what had developed under Putin, which was a, a, basically a mafia state where there's no real division between the organized crime uh, organizations and governmental organizations and just, like, rich, powerful people. They're all just in cahoots together. And that's what he was kind of trying to expose. So it, it was, it was a fundamental to what was developing in the, in the Russian system. The proximate cause of it may have been excuse me, that he was about to give testimony in a Spanish case which alleged uh, involvement of the Russian mob in in Spain, including mobsters who would be connected to Putin. Mm. So he would basically be giving testimony against Vladimir Putin in a sense. So that, that may have been kind of the impetus to do it then. Have they poisoned anybody else like that? That we, like, know of? I don't think so. Not in that particular so way. it truly is, like, weird. Like, why? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that they maybe knew that the trail would be left. Because the they knew, presumably, that it wouldn't give off gamma radiation. Which would have been a huge red flag, right? The, they, w- they wouldn't have been able to carry it out with a radioactive poison that gave off gamma radiation. Um, knowing that it gave off alpha radiation that wouldn't penetrate sub, you know, surfaces um, or the human body means they were pretty sophisticated, I think. But they don't seem to have known that it would leave a trail like it did. So, you know, I think that's why they haven't used it since then. 
but it, it probably seemed like a pretty great other than the fact again that it's just so highly highly dangerous uh, but uh, yeah i don't know I can't i can't make sense of that part of it wow that was good yeah so yeah the and um i guess I could, i'll just uh finish up here by reading a little quote from a article an article rather that was printed in the daily mail on november 25th of 2006, so a few days after uh, Litvinenko's death, that was attributed to him, that he basically wrote as as like his deathbed, you know, testament, um, and it's titled "Why I Believe Putin Wanted Me Dead." Wow. Uh, so this is a, a quote from that piece by Alexander uh, Litvinenko. This may be the time to say one or two things to the person responsible for my present condition. You may succeed in silencing me, but that silence comes at a price. You have shown yourself to be as barbaric and as ruthless as your most hostile critics have claimed. You have shown yourself to have no respect for life, liberty, or any civilized value. You have shown yourself to be unworthy of your office, to be unworthy of the trust of civilized men and women. You may succeed in silencing one man... But the howl of protest from around the world will reverberate, Mr. Putin, in your ears for the rest of your life. May God forgive you for what you have done, not only to me, but to beloved Russia and its people. Damn. So pretty, pretty heavy stuff. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think it, to me, helps to underscore also that the the people in a country and the government that run its country often are very different and sometimes are at odds with one another. And, you know, they're Alexander Litvinenko is not a perfect person, right? He would, you know, readily admit he did things in the FSB that were not great. He went along with some stuff that was not good, but essentially he wanted his country to be a country in which people had their rights respected and didn't, you know, arbitrarily get killed or harassed or, yeah. you know, where, where essentially the government was trying to do the right thing by its people, which is what almost everyone wants in the world. And, you know, we, we can't lump those people in when they happen to live in a country that doesn't respect those values. So, you know, I just really appreciate him when he says, you know, what you've done to, you know, beloved Russia and its people. We have to remember that it's like something that Putin and his regime are doing to the people of Russia, not something that Russia is doing itself. And I think that that helps to build that kind of sense of empathy. Very nice. I mean, yeah. it's pretty fucking horrible. Yeah, but you know, it's it's like that was like that was that was that was deep. Yeah. Yeah. Yours was deep. I think we both did well <laughs> this week. Yes, good. <laughs> um, so should we do some weird shit in the news? Weird shit. Weird, in the weird, news. Weird shit. What? 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 I want to go first. Okay. So, um. Mine has to do with mermaids. Okay. <laughs> um, mermaids are real. 
so this is from NPR and the title is mermaids and mermen of Brazil refuse to be tamed. (laughs) So members of a small but growing shoal of mermaids and mermen in Brazil are getting a little worried and irate until now they've been able to slip happily into their brightly colored tails and glide away through the water without much attention from the outside world beyond the odd chuckle or ripple of applause. Now mermaiding or serismo or serismo? Sereismo, I'm not sure, as it's known in Brazil, is growing more popular thanks to partly to a smash hit TV soap opera and the theme song that accompanied it. So basically, the their safety agencies telling uh, them that like swimming around dressed up as this like mermaid, they'll they'll like drown. Like it. it Okay, so it says the spread of the hobby is attracting warnings from safety agencies who believe that swimming around dressed as glamorous sea creature from ancient mythology can involve the real and present danger of drowning. But what I don't get is that isn't that with everybody? Like you swim at your own risk, right? Well, yeah, but I think if you're wearing the fucking, you know, mermaid legs, it like impedes your ability to. I think that's what they're saying. So there's this woman named Mireya, it's probably like Mirella, Mirella. Just say say it like an American person. You don't have to to try to sound like you're from there. I know, but like, (laughs) that's how it's supposed to be said. Sure. Whatever. Mirella Faraz, 34, says she's Brazil. I was like, really, woman? Says she is Brazil's first professional mermaid and a pioneer of the pastime in her country. Live your dream. Live your truth. Make other people bend to your conception of reality. (laughs) Don't drown. That's like my wizard friend, Devin. He wanted to be a wizard, a professional wizard. (laughs) He went for it. It's called chaos magic. Yeah. She, uh, yeah. She says, she says, uh, she accuses a recently launched campaign that highlights the risks of mermaiding, of spreading falsehoods and demonizing the mermaid's skin. Quote, (laughs) they also say that with the tail, you can't float. It's a lie. It is buoyant. Uh, End quote. Good points. Good points. Okay, standing up for mermaid rights. I can appreciate that. I mean... It kind of reminds me of, like, um, what was it called? Uh, when people... Planking? Planking. Now, remember, it's, now it's mermaiding. Remember how... Yeah, but planking was, like, dangerous. Because like people were, like, yeah. planking in, like, really stupid places. Like, yeah. You know. If you're taking any fat... cars. Yeah. Right. Trying to be like Teen Wolf. But, yep, that's my weird shit in the news. Yeah, cool. Mermaids. Your turn. Gotta love them. Mermaids. So, right. Mermaids, mermaids. Mine comes from CBS News, and the title is uh, Plane Lands on California Highway Median. No, <gasps> no injuries reported. Oh, good. So it's, it has a happy ending, this story. That's so, so bizarre. Can you imagine being a car on the highway? I cannot. Miraculously. Is that 
Is that a plane? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a single-seater Cessna, I think it was, landed on the median of a northern California highway. No injuries reported. Um, the pilot walked away and was not hurt. There were no injuries on the ground, and the plane was removed from the freeway, and all lanes were quickly reopened. So basically, what it sounds yeah, Casual. what it, what it sounds like is this plane basically came down, landed, stopped for a minute, they carted it off to the side, kept going. No more trouble than an errant cow. What on a country road? <laughs> To make a weird wow. analogy. <laughs> wow. And there was that a, happen? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was also no damage to the single engine. It was actually a Piper, a PA-46 plane. And uh, photos from the scene showed the plane perpendicular to the highway lanes. This was about 75 miles south of San Francisco. So San there's a picture of the, of the plane. It's small. Yeah, it's it's quite a small plane, but the median is also quite a small area. Yeah. So that's at first I was like, "What?" I'm like kind of. I mean, I'm pretty. Plane? My first thought was, "Oh, is this a drug smuggler?" Oh. But I assume they would have mentioned that he got arrested if it were. Yeah. And, and then my second thought was, "Oh, that's that's really impressive." I know. And then that's what I was thinking. My third thought was, "Oh, that sounds like fun." Yeah. <laughs> um. So that's my no, weird. That sounds, no, that sounds. I can't talk. Yeah. That sounds incredibly terrifying. That sounds like so crazy. It's. It's crazy. Oh God. Um. So. We will get our shit together. Our shit to, is together. Well, I know, but to have a Patreon. Yes, yeah, we are trying to put up on Patreon. We need to make a that, video of ourselves. Yeah. We're not filmmakers. We're not. We're really not. But I have an iPhone. That's so all I you need. So I feel like Apple has told me I'm a filmmaker. You know what? Wasn't you, that in a commercial? You can be whatever you want to be. With an iPhone. With an iPhone, you can be whatever you want to be. Right. We're not right. plugging the iPhone. It's not an endorsement. I actually don't have an iPhone. I but don't if, have money for an iPhone. But if anyone works for Apple and they want to give us money, we will shill so hard. <laughs> we, we, we will be shills. I'll buy an iPhone with money. Yeah. Um, I actually really like my phone. Yeah. If I shake it, the flashlight turns on. <laughs> it's really amusing. Always shake an Android. I have a fingerprint thingy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty advanced. Is this show and tell? Is that what's happening yes. right now? <laughs> yes. Yes. It yeah, it's a nice camera. That's good. It's an okay. Now the camera's not that great. I thought it would be great, but it's like okay. Mm-hmm. It's better than my old one. Why are we talking I'm about that? I cut out all of this. <laughs> I want to go to bed. <laughs> okay, wait, we have to do like an outro. Okay. What were we. Huh? What? What? So, okay. Impressive. Do we have anything else to say? (laughs) Things in the news. Patreon. Patreon. Oh, and, um, oh, I wanted to, like, say, with the Patreon, we're thinking about doing a thing where, like, 
if you give a certain amount, then we'll do like an extra segment. More weird shit in the news. Weird shit in the news, extra edition, whatever, you know. So We should do celebrity gossip. Oh, we could do celebrity <laughs> gossip too. No. <laughs> no. I don't want that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any. I don't know I any. I know some good. I know some, like right now, uh, Michael Chloe, B. Jordan. Chloe, Chloe Kardashian's pregnant, right? So is her sister. And, right, they're both pregnant. So. Um, Michael B. Jordan. What about Michael And B. Lupita Nyong'o, they had a bet. Michael B. Jordan lost. Now he's on, now he's on call for push-ups. So I oh, yeah, Lupita I Nyong'o's like, push-ups, he has right. to do push-ups. Yeah, but Michael B. Jordan's one of those guys who probably does like, a hundred push-ups a day already. Yeah. <laughs> He's, like, trying yeah. to stay cut for those basketball movies. Mm, he can stay cut. <laughs> he's a good... He's, like, a really good basketball player. He's, like, a really good-looking person. Yeah. I also like that he he was, like, my name's also Michael Jordan. I also play basketball. But I don't want to be, like, people to say, like, Michael Jordan, oh, not the best player of all time. The other Michael Jordan. So he just became Michael B. Jordan. It's and that was like why And that was, like, why he did that. It's catchy. His it dad's catchy. name is Michael A. Jordan. Oh, I Isn't didn't that know funny? That. Is his son going to be Michael C. Jordan? I don't know. Because <laughs> I hope cool. so. Okay. <laughs> you we're done. You're done. Oh, we have to do like a bye. Okay. Wait, do, are we going to, do we have a thing yet? We're never going to come up with a thing. Oh, we'll never come up with a thing. Okay, whatever. Bye. Good job, bye. <laughs> Stop. Bye. <laughs>